This podcast is sponsored in part by Tokyo Tree. Friends, February is right around the corner, and I know what some of you might be thinking. The dreaded couple's holiday will soon be upon us. But who says Valentine's Day has to be all about romance? Think about it. When was the last time you treated yourself? So why not show yourself some love by splurging on the latest box of amazing goodies from Tokyo Treat? Tokyo Treat is a monthly Japanese subscription box that delivers the latest, exclusive, limited edition, and seasonal flavored snacks that are only available in Japan for a limited time. All packaged in a cute and colorful box delivered straight to your front door. You can get a box of up to 20 different kinds of goodies of various sizes, flavors, and types, even including a Japanese drink, a full size bag of Japanese Kit Kats, and an instant noodle pack to try. I've been enjoying Tokyo Treat for several months now. And I look forward to testing out each box when it comes. It's so much fun to dig into all the different kinds of treats and snacks, from the sweet to the savory, as most of them are things I've never seen for sale at any of my local Asian markets. And if you order this month, you'll get their Be My Valentine box with some extremely indulgent snacks, perfect for treating yourself. Or sharing with your friends. Some of my favorites from this month's box were the spicy chili tomato chips and the delightful strawberry shortcake Kit Kats. I don't want to spoil the rest of the box for you, but if you're a fan of chocolate and strawberry like I am, you'll definitely want to pick up this month's box for sure. So, if you want to try Tokyo Treat Out for yourself and help support my little podcast at the same time, you can use my special code NOSTALGIA for $5 off your first Tokyo Treat box through my link at team.tokyotreat.comslash the anime nostalgia. That's code NOSTALGIA for $5 off your first box at team.tokyotreat.com. Slash the anime nostalgia. I'll also have a link that you can find in the show notes of the podcast as well. And yes, for those of you with significant others, a Tokyo Treat box also makes a literally sweet gift for the sweetie in your life. Every box also includes a full color booklet with information on not just what the snacks are, but it also includes allergen information. As well as info on which are vegan and vegetarian for each snack included, so you'll know exactly which treats are best for you. This month's book also includes a cute romantic anime recommendations guide, perfect for Valentine's Day. So, what are you waiting for? Use code NOSTALGIA for $5 off your first box at team.tokyotreat.comslash the anime nostalgia today.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, and Happy New Year! I hope you all had a lovely holiday season, and thank you for joining me in another year of the podcast. Last year was the podcast's 10th anniversary, which got me thinking about the podcast's future and what I want to do this year. I'm not exactly ready to announce anything just yet, but know that I am currently working on some new and hopefully exciting things to come. I can't wait to start sharing them with you, so keep your eyes and ears out for new developments on the way. But in the meantime, this month, we're starting the year off with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my very fancy name for a podcast episode I record solo where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years, take some notes on what I might remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day since... You know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change, or we pick up on things we didn't notice before, all that kind of stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast in a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go in-depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes to give myself a little bit of a break. But if this kind of episode isn't to your liking, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. Next month, I'll be back to a longer episode that I do with a guest to talk about a title or topic more in-depth, so please look forward to it. And now that that's out of the way, let's get on with the show. Like many people, I backed the Dirty Pair Kickstarter and have been waiting excitedly for its shiny new Blu-ray edition to come out. And thinking about Dirty Pair got my brain into thinking about the Lovely Angel's first ever anime appearance. No, I don't mean the 1985 Dirty Pair TV series. I'm talking about 1983's Crusher Joe the movie. Similar to Dirty Pair, Crusher Joe is based on a series of novels written by Haruka Takachiho, with artwork drawn by Yoshikazu Yasuhiko. But before the Dirty Pair got their own anime, they made their anime debut by way of cameos in the film, as the characters of Dirty Pair and Crusher Joe share a universe. So, when this popped into my head again, I realized it had been a long, long time since I revisited the Crusher Joe anime. So, what better time to give it another watch? Now, if I remember correctly, Crusher Joe shares a few similarities with the Dirty Pair outside of them just being in the same universe. Namely, Joe and the rest of his crew of crushers are basically muscle for hire, similar to Kay and Yuri being trouble consultants. You call them up to help you with a tough, seemingly impossible mission, and they're going to help you see it through to the end no matter what. So, of course, the movie focuses on a particularly difficult assignment that the crushers have to figure their way through. 
It's been a while since I've watched this one, so I'm a little bit hazy on the details. So other than the Dirty Pair cameos, I also remember the iconic disco club scene from this movie. This is a scene that, even if you've never seen the movie, you still might have seen this part. It's very popular for gift makers on Tumblr, not to mention I see parts of this scene used for lots of future funk and city pop videos on YouTube, Instagram, and just across social media in general. If you've ever seen a nicely animated cute blonde girl getting drunk and or dancing with flashing lights on a disco floor, or a dude with fluffy hair and a blue space jumpsuit with white gloves also getting drunk and grooving on a dance floor with said cute blonde girl, well, that's from Crusher Joe the movie. And it's no wonder people love that scene. It's still extremely well animated, with a lot of fun energy to it. Now, my first exposure to Crusher Joe was on Anime Go's VHS release way back in the video rental days, and I of course made a VHS copy to keep. I obviously loved the movie, especially for the absolutely gorgeous animation, so I'm really looking forward to revisiting this one again, and to see if the story is just as good as the animation. So. Let's get ready to warp into hyperspace, pop in this Blu-ray, and revisit the Crushers in this month's rewatch. Thank <laughs> you. 
宙が熱い。Okay, I'm gonna admit right away that this movie really hit me in the nostalgic anime feels while I was watching it, especially with watching it in high def for the first time. I'm a big fan of Yas's style and work in general, so I always love watching or revisiting anything he puts out. And Crusher Joe is no exception. This movie is pretty much Everything most folks love about 80s sci fi in one feature length movie. So I pretty much nailed the basics when it came to the plot. Joe and his ragtag group of fellow crushers are given what appears to be a pretty straightforward escort mission with a time limit that ends up sending the crushers through an even longer and involved adventure. Full of space battles, hover car chases, narrow escapes, political espionage and intrigue, and bar brawls, with plenty of witty banter between our heroes in between. You're introduced to all the crushers as they've been a team for a while now and are comfortable around each other to not only be close, but to often tease and poke fun at each other in that way that only close friends do. It's refreshing not to have the movie stop to a grinding halt to explain who each of the characters are to us and their entire backstory. The movie gives you little character bios during the opening of the film that shows us some basic info about each character briefly and then just moves forward with the story. And really, that's all you need to know to enjoy it. Everything else you need to know about the characters, the movie tells us with their expressions, their actions, and dialogue. It's simple, straightforward, and helps both established fans of the Crusher Joe series and newcomers alike enjoy it. These characters have a lot of personality, and we're excited to go on this ride with them. Seeing the movie in high definition, I was struck with just how damn colorful the movie was. Current sci fi films we see now in modern cinema are often pretty monotone, opting to make everything look aggressively blue, brown, or orange. So it's so nice to go back to a sci fi movie that uses a full range of color without it looking too garish or over the top most of the time. The fight scenes are dynamic, with great care in color theory to make everything from the spacecrafts to the explosions really pop. City scenes are vibrant and lively, forests and jungles look lush and intimidating, with dynamic use of shadows. Even the crushers themselves have distinct colors of their matching uniforms, but it's subtle enough that no one's going to mistake them for, say, a Power Rangers team. It's just so nice to see color being used, not just in general, but with so much thought put into it. And with the new Blu ray release, these colors really do stand out in the vibrancy they deserve. And of course, the animation is spectacular. If you're familiar with the director's other anime works, it's no surprise. The characters are extremely expressive and even goofy at times, but in the best way possible. There's tons of little 
blink and you'll miss it cameos and Easter eggs hidden throughout the movie. And I don't just mean the Dirty Pair's major cameo on a drive-in movie screen. If you look hard enough, you'll see things like Gundam's own cute little mascot, Haro, names of animators on various screens or newspapers, even bundled up issues of Shonen Jump magazine rolling through a space trash compactor. Everywhere you look in this movie, you'll see small details that really make this world feel more lived in, from background characters doing silly things in the corners of group shots, to strange alien creatures making funny faces at you when you're supposed to be looking at the heroes. You can really tell that not only did the staff put a lot of love into animating this movie, they really had fun with it. It's also even more apparent to me now that the people who worked on this movie were really big fans of Western science fiction, as there's plenty in this movie that felt very reminiscent of 70s and 80s sci-fi, like Logan's Run, the original Star Wars movies, Flash Gordon, and other pulpy action media from that time. But that's definitely not a bad thing. If you love the vibes of that era of science fiction, then you'll probably enjoy this movie a hell of a lot, because it fits right in. Even the soundtrack feels heavily influenced by John Williams' work on the original Star Wars films. I don't want to spoil too much about the movie, since I feel like it's best seen for yourself, but there's absolutely a few scenes where the characters are in peril in a space station, and it visually feels a lot like certain scenes from the first Star Wars film, which is kind of fun to see in a movie that only came out six years after the fact. VHS was still in its infancy back then, so it's likely that the staff either had seen this movie multiple times in theaters, or they were big enough nerds that they shelled out the high price for a VHS on top of the expensive VCR needed to play it to replicate that same kind of feeling into their animation. It really does show how much they adored this genre. Hell, the big bad guy of this movie even wears a big dramatic cape a la Darth Vader or Ming the Merciless. Honestly, if I were to critique anything, it's the heavy use of flashing and strobing lights and colors in some of the warping scenes and especially the disco dance floor scenes. This is, sadly, a common technique from this era of animation, so if you are light or photosensitive, you might have to sadly skip this one altogether, which is a shame, as otherwise the animation is extremely beautiful and fun to watch. Also, Alfin, our leading lady and only woman of the Crushers group, also sometimes comes off as a stereotypically jealous, screeching young girl at times. But she is only supposed to be 17, so that's still pretty young. I can give a character like her a pass for acting a little bratty at times. Plus, that's kind of to be expected from media of this era. Thankfully, there's plenty of other times in the movie she shows off her wit and smarts in her own way, and she just has a really lively and fun air about her, so to me, she's still a very likable character. 
I rewatched Crusher Joe the movie in Japanese since I couldn't remember which one I'd originally seen back in the day. The Japanese cast is great. We have Hiroshi Takamura playing our titular Joe, and you may have heard him before as Toma Hashiba in Samurai Troopers, aka the original Ronin Warriors, Bart's Ryan in Galactic Drifter Vifam, and Sanpei Nawaki in the Skebon Deka OVA. The legendary Kiyoshi Kobayashi plays the big buff Talos, but he is much better known as the original voice of Daisuke Jigen in the classic Lupin III franchise. But you might have heard him before as Aguel Dilaz in Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory and Rebi Ra in Demon City Shinjuku. Rum Sasaki plays the spunky elfin, but she might be better known by some of her roles as Vanessa Lyard in the original Macross and Do You Remember Love, Mimsy Laz in Orgus, and Sayaka Minazuki in the original Glass Mask 80s anime. Ricky, the plucky kid of the team, is voiced by Noriko Ohara, but she's much better known as the voice of Nobita Nobi, the owner of our iconic earless cat Doraemon in the long-running Doraemon anime franchise. But she is also Oyuki in the original Orose Yatsura, Mime in the Space Pirate Captain Harlock series, and Doranjo in Yatterman. Chikao Otsuka makes an excellent adversary to the Crushers as Big Bad Big Murphy, and he gives similar vibes in his roles of Tao Pai Pai in Dragon Ball, Tora in the original Ushio and Tora OVA, and Dr. Eggman, aka Dr. Robotnik, in the Sonic anime and game series. I mentioned earlier that I was a big fan of Yas's work, Yas being the nickname of Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, who was not only the original illustrator of the Crusher Joe novels, but was also the director, script and screenplay writer, character designer, and animation director for this movie, on top of working on storyboards and some key animation. So, to say his fingerprint is all over this movie would be an understatement. <laughs> if you're a sci-fi fan, you've probably seen a good chunk of his work before, considering he was the original character designer for the original Mobile Suit Gundam, along with a key animator and animation director. He was also a storyboarder for the original space battleship Yamato, and a screenplay writer, character designer, and original manga creator of Venus Wars, just to name a few. Mechanical design was by Shoji Kawamori, who you'll probably recognize as a mech designer and co-creator from the original Super Dimension Fortress Macross and its multiple series in the franchise. He was also co-creator on The Vision of Escaflone and mechanical designer for everything from the original Transformers to the Pat Labor films. 
Norio Kashima was the second animation director, who also worked on the original Dirty Pair TV series, Giant Gorg, and Zabungle. Norio Maeda worked on the music for the film, but I was surprised to see they actually don't have a lot of anime listed in their resume. But they did also do music for the Lika-chan OVA, as well as Lupin III Secret Files OVA. Something that I'd also forgotten about this movie was that Yaz had a myriad of notable artists help him design various things for this movie. Since the movie is jam-packed with group shots and weird little characters, it's kind of hard to pin each of them down, but the credits boast an impressive list of guest designers that include such iconic artists as Akira Toriyama, Yumiko Igarashi, Katsuhiro Otomo, Rumiko Takahashi, Keiko Takamiya, and more! Years ago, Annie Gamer's own Evan Minto wrote an article speculating on who might have done a few of those designs, so I'll link it in the show notes for folks who want to check it out if you want to learn more about that. But with all that said and done, would I recommend this movie to people? Absolutely! Especially if you're a fan of Dirty Pair and you've never checked out the creator's other work. Since they share a universe, the creators and writing feel very similar, so it's really easy to jump right into their adventures. The movie is over two hours long, but if you're looking for a fun and action-packed popcorn movie to enjoy on a weekend, this fits the bill easily. For fans of anime like Space Adventure Cobra, Outlaw Star, or Cowboy Bebop, this group of lovable mercenaries are a perfect addition to your anime collection. And that about wraps it up for this short review episode on Crusher Joe. Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including Retro Deluxe, Toru, and several others who donated anonymously. Thank you for being my first tippers of the new year, I really appreciate it. And once again, thank you to sponsor Tokyo Treat for their support of the podcast as well. Remember, you can get $5 off your first Tokyo Treat box with the code NOSTALGIA at my special link, which I'll have in the show notes that you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well as animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you can always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find them at carobit.net. That's K-E-R-O-B-I-T dot net. 
As always, I have been your host, Dawn, and I will see you next time. Thank you.